Acts chapter 6 will be taking our text from tonight. Acts chapter 6, and we're only going to be able to look at verses 8 through 15, I believe. Uh, Acts chapter 6, 8 through 15. We, I think we, we covered briefly uh, verse 8 last time, but I want to include it tonight because of, to keep it in context. Now, I've titled the message tonight from the scripture, Stephen, full of faith and power. Acts chapter 6, starting with verse 8, the Bible says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and the Cyrenians, and the Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia, and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Then they suborned men, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and, and came upon him and called him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses, which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Father, thank you for the reading of your word tonight. Thank you for the, for the songs tonight and the, and the fellowship and the spirit of God. We just pray, Lord, that you continue with us as we try to preach here for a few minutes, God, that you'll get the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we pick up here last from last week as we looked at the calling of the seven men, which we said you could you could kind of call it uh, the first pattern of the deacons being called. Um, they were called to assist in the duties of the church. Uh, the apostles needed time to be praying and studying scripture, uh, ministering in the word is what their their main job was, and so they needed help. Uh, especially to provide for the widows and the needy. And the Bible says that that is uh, pure religion, by the way, to do that. And so these men, they sought them out. They had to be, of course, full of the Spirit. That was the main requirement. They'd be Spirit-filled. And that's uh, we saw that this man, Stephen, was one of those. Uh, and, uh, you know, every time he's mentioned in the Bible, it's, he's mentioned about his faith and his power his spirit, his wisdom, all those things are mentioned about Stephen every time you see him mentioned. And so uh, we pick up here in verse 8 with Stephen. Of course, now bear in mind, he was one of the helpers here to, to help distribute the, uh, the things uh, to the people so that the widows didn't go hungry and such and uh, money or whatever was needed at the time. But yet we find that he is also doing other things. He's not an apostle, as the other men would be called apostles. Uh, he is a disciple because he's a believer in the Lord Jesus and, and learns from him. However, he is uh, kind of considered, I guess you would consider him an evangelist of sort. Because he's obviously uh, teaching and preaching about Jesus in front of everyone. Because all these men have heard him. They've heard him speak. They've heard him teach. He's a... Uh, apparently a, a really smart man, uh, but beyond being smart, the Bible says in verse 8 there, he's full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Now I notice that the Lord spends a lot of time showing us the character of Stephen. It's his character that actually causes the, the Jews to him to draw attention from the Jews. It's his character. 
besides Jesus, Stephen is the first Christian martyr. Uh, first of all, the Bible says he's full of faith. Now, being full of faith is, like we said, the number one characteristic of these men that were called. But it's also the number one char characteristic of great men and women of God. You're going to find all throughout the Bible, anytime the Bible mentions great men and great women that did great things for God, they are always full of faith. In fact, if you go over into Hebrews chapter 11, which we call the Great Faith Hall of Fame, you see 17 names of men and women listed there from the Old Testament that the Bible specifically draws out and makes pays attention to their great faith. Now, Stephen being in the New Testament wasn't included in that list, but if he'd been living back in the Old Testament days, you can guarantee his name would have been right there among the 17. Uh, he's, uh, he's a man full of faith. Not only is he full of faith, but the Bible says he's full of power. Now, this power is seen in what the Bible describes as great wonders and miracles. He probably had power in, in the way he spoke. Probably had power in the way that he was able to evangelize. Power to, to reach people. But he had great wonders and miracles. Now, notice the Bible doesn't give us a list of the wonders and miracles that Stephen performed. Nowhere in there do we find that. Other men we find that the Bible does list some of the great miracles they did. John and uh, Peter and, of course, Jesus and, and Paul. All these men, the Bible gives us lists of things that they were doing. They, You know, people being able to the lame to walk again and, and eyes to see and uh, devils cast out and such things. So we don't really know all the things that Stephen was able to do through his great faith and power. But the Bible said there were great wonders and miracles. And they have taken notice of that as well. Uh, if we don't have to have a list, it's not needed. It's obvious that they were great, uh, most likely as great as those as the apostles, uh, Peter and John. But it's enough to get the attention of these religious uh, folks of that day. Now, remember, these that come against him are not Christians. They have not come and accepted Christ. They're Jews. They're steeped in Judaism. Uh, look at verse 9. It says, Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians and of them of Cilicia and of Asia disputed with Stephen. Now, it's a little hard to tell if it's talking about this one synagogue because it says there arose certain of the synagogue. So it's hard to say if they're referring to one particular synagogue that all these men belong to or if it's several synagogues, which I believe to be the case. Because history tells us there were over 480 different synagogues in Jerusalem alone. And so all these men, though they're not native to Jerusalem, they're from outside of there. It lists there where they're from, the Libertines, Cyrenians, Alexandria, Cilicia, Asia. And so they are now there from their synagogues, and they're disputing with Stephen. Now, notice something peculiar right there, or interesting, I guess you could say. It says that some of them were of Cilicia. Now, Cilicia is, if you remember a man named Saul, Saul of Tarsus, who later we always refer to as Paul most of the time. He was from Tarsus. Tarsus was the capital city of Cilicia. And so Paul is, or Saul, or I guess they called him mostly then, uh, he, the Bible doesn't refer to him with his Roman name until later on uh, afterwards, uh, after his salvation and such. God didn't change his name. I'm not going to get into that tonight. His name was always Paul and Saul. But uh, he was from Tarsus, which was the chief city of 
or the, the capital city of Cilicia. And he's there in this crowd. Now, we don't see his name mentioned until chapter 7 at the end there in verse 58, which is the first time that he's mentioned. But he's here with these men disputing with Stephen. We know that because when all this uh, is over, he's the one that they let their cloaks down at his feet. And so the, the Bible says all these men were disputing with Stephen. Most likely they were asking him questions about Jesus and Christianity and grace and all those things that they rejected. The Jews didn't believe in any, all, any of that stuff. And so they may have started off asking him serious questions, maybe trying to understand exactly what it was he was teaching and preaching and what caused him to be able to have these, uh, these miracles and great wonders that he's able to do. But as things keep progressing here, uh, things get heated up. And they, they start seeing that they have nothing in common with this man. But yet this man is claiming to speak for God. This man is trying to tell people about, about Jesus and relating him to God. And so they already, they're getting the resistance up. Things start getting very heated. Look at verse 10. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. So obviously everything they've asked him, he's able to provide an intelligent answer. And no doubt many of them probably understand that he's correct in everything he's saying. So that's getting them even madder because they don't want to admit that they're wrong. They don't want to admit that he's right. And so they lose their argument with him because he's been enabled by the Holy Spirit to be able to, to defend himself. And that's the way God did with his apostles and, and those that he sent uh, to, to teach about the gospel. He empowered them. He enabled them through the Spirit to be able to do such things. We're not seeing anywhere here that, that Stephen ever went to seminary or, you know, sat under the feet of Gamaliel like Paul did or anything like that. And so uh, was whether he was very smart or intellectual, we don't know, but he's being led by the Spirit because the Bible said he's full of the Spirit. And so God is speaking through him, giving him great wisdom and able to resist these, these men, and they can't dispute it. And so this is an example from Stephen that should remind us as Christians, when somebody starts disputing or questioning your faith or your beliefs in the Lord Jesus or maybe your beliefs in the Bible or something like that, and they start throwing out all these questions and all this stuff and things getting heated, we need to also rely upon the Holy Spirit to guide us in what we say back. You know, we're real bad about just flying off a handle. You know, somebody starts arguing against something you believe in and, and things. Well, your first emotion is to strike out or to, to argue back or to prove you're right. We need to step back and, and let the Lord lead us. You know, pray. Pray inside your head or whatever it takes. Lord, help me here. You know, I don't have the answers, but I know that you do. God, help me right here in this case. Whatever it is, but we need to, to take Stephen's, uh, what he does, and allow the Holy Spirit to lead us in speaking to other people. And so too many times we get into arguments needlessly. And listen, arguing with somebody about Jesus will never do you any good. You're never going to convince someone that they need to be saved when you're arguing with them and tell them you know, all about all how wrong they are and all this stuff. We don't need to be belligerent when it comes to telling people about Jesus. Uh, 
we really as Christians, we need to be careful how we do speak with other people and around other people, especially when it comes to things of, of church and uh, of our faith. Uh, too many people today, preachers are some of the worst. If you get on Facebook, they'll get on there and they'll start arguing and commenting with arguing back and forth and all this stuff. It's good nobody good at all. And just imagine a lost person getting onto one of these preachers' social media page and seeing all the, the arguing and, and you know insults and everything else that's going on. That's just going to turn people away. Uh, you know, it, it's just it's just not good. And so we need to be very careful, especially when we're speaking to somebody that's lost or someone of another faith. And we know that what we believe, our faith, is in the Lord Jesus. And we know that's the, the true faith. And we realize these other religions and people of other faiths are in the wrong. That they don't know the truth. But we can't beat the truth in them. We can't convince them by arguing with them and trying to make them see that it's my way or the highway. And so we need to allow the Lord to work with us. And uh, It's not our job to convict anybody, by the way. You know, some people think when they go to witness, it's their job to get somebody saved. No, it's not. That's not what it is at all. It's your job to tell people about Jesus. Simply give the gospel. It's the Holy Spirit that does the convicting. And so simply all you have to do is say, this is what God says. You can read from the Bible. You can give them a Bible tract and say, if you read this, this is what the Bible says right here. And the, the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, will convict that heart through those words in, in, in His Word. It's not you that does it. Some of the, the worst speaking people that, that can't speak to others are some of the best witnesses. They just go up and say, I want to give you this Bible track. I want to you know, show you right here in the Bible this and somebody can read it. And, you know, the next thing you know, the Holy Spirit's convicted that person. And so you know, don't think you've got to be some kind of powerhouse to come around and you know, get people saved. The Lord saves them. And so we rely on the Holy Spirit to give us the proper words to say, and not only the proper words, but the proper attitude. Stephen has the proper attitude. He's not getting all bent out of shape. He's not standing up and screaming. He's not trying to defend himself or any of these things. He's just simply speaking to them. It says they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Verse 11. Then they suborned men which said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they're not able to dispute with Stephen. And so what's their natural reaction here? Well, like brute beasts, the first thing to do is they strike out against him. They're going to make sure that they're in the right no matter what. So if they round up some men they know that's going to lie for them. They don't care. And there were plenty of them around, by the way just like they were when Jesus was accused falsely. There's plenty around right now, ready to accuse right now. Plenty of people. You can round up liars all day long. They're out there everywhere. You can pay people to lie. They'll, they'll do it gladly. And so that's what they've done here. They born men. They found some guys that, uh, you know, that's going to claim that he's been speaking blasphemous words you know, against Moses and against God. And that's who they run back to. They run back to Abraham. They run back to Moses every time they're trying to, you know, claim Christianity is false or whatever. And uh, since they weren't able to dispute, they get these liars around. And uh, 
in, in that day, if there were at least three witnesses that claimed they heard Stephen speak these blasphemous words, then that's grounds for stoning. Enough said. They didn't have to do anything else. Verse 12. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. Well, it's not good enough just to embarrass him or to have false accusers against him, but they're trying to destroy him. They want to destroy his reputation. They want to destroy his, his, uh, his message. And so they get these guys to lie, then they go around all over town stirring up the people. If you can get enough people stirred up, you can cause a, you can cause a big problem. That's what they've done. And notice they even went and stirred up the elders and the scribes. You know, these guys are not even from there. And yet they come into Jerusalem and cause all these problems. Let's go find the elders and the scribes of Jerusalem. And let's go, you know, stir up all the people. And that's what they did. Running through the streets, the marketplace, and everything else. You know, spreading lies about Stephen. And people are eager to believe a lie. You know, they are. They love a lie. They, people love to hear something. Some little bit of gossip about somebody. And if it's not in their character, oh, I couldn't believe that about them. And here's how it usually, usually works. Somebody will tell you something, and they'll say something like this. Did you hear about... When somebody starts that way, just turn around and say, I, I've not heard it, and I don't care. Uh, I had an uncle, you know, I don't want to talk bad about him. He, he passed away a few years ago. But I had an uncle... And me and Mary went over to Mom's to visit. He, he lived next door. And uh, he come run over the car, you know, and talking some. And he said, did you hear what happened out there at that church? And I said, no, I didn't hear about it. I don't want to hear about it. And he said, well, I didn't want to tell you. And turned around and walked off. He was dying to tell me. And when it comes to church, you better watch out. People want to wag that tongue. One little thing. There's a guy on social media last week in a prayer request. It was a, it was a, and you gotta watch those folks too. They hide it behind a prayer request, a little bit of gossip to get out there. Pray for this guy. His church is going through an awful thing, and they're just they're splitting up, and people are not. I'm thinking that don't need to be out there anywhere in the public. First of all, for anybody to see. If there's a problem in the church, it's the church problem. It's not anybody else's. It's not for social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or anything like that. Uh, but people are just dying to hear a little bit of juicy gossip, especially when it comes to Christians, when it comes to churches, when it comes to pastors, preachers, uh, deacons, missionaries, evangelists, you name it. Boy, if they can get a little bit of juicy information, they think that they can run with it, and they'll do it. Boy, it'll spread like fire and quick. I know a lot of good people's been ruined by this kind of thing. Lies. And so that's what they're wanting to do with Stephen. They want to ruin him. And so they stir up the people. And people are just depraved. The Bible says in Isaiah 59 and 7, their feet run to evil. And they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. It's no different today. From that day there that that was written, it's the same. And just like what happened with Peter and John, Stephen gets detained and brought before the council. Verse 13. And so false witnesses, which said, This man ceaseth 
not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. And so the lies continue. They claim Stephen is speaking blasphemous words, continuously doing it. I mean, he, this guy won't stop. He just goes on and on and on blaspheming against this holy place. He means the temple. Blaspheming against this holy place. And not only that, but the law, the law of Moses. That's what they're talking about, the law of Moses. And so they claim that Stephen's continually doing this. And, uh, and this time they want to place emphasis on the holy place because the temple was the end all be all to the Jews. You know, even when they were you know, in captivity, they were talking about how, how wonderful their temple was back in that day and everything. Uh, the temple was the, the thing. Uh, but Stephen was not blaspheming against, against the temple. He was simply not making it an idol. And he was using the words of the Lord Jesus, as we'll see in the next chapter uh, when he speaks. But uh, Stephen's, what he tells them is that uh, the Most High doesn't dwell in temples made by hands. Uh, you know, And so that is what they're trying to, uh, to get on. Verse 14. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place. And shall change the customs which Moses delivers. Uh, we're not told everything that Stephen has been saying all this time. All we're hearing is what these men are saying he said. Uh, we won't see what Stephen says until next Wednesday, Lord willing. But uh, he may have mentioned probably where Jesus himself had mentioned about destroying the temple. Uh, John 2, 18 through 19. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou? unto us, seeing that thou doest these things. Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now, we know that the Bible tells us he was speaking of himself right there. You know, in three days he's going to be rose up. You can just try to destroy him, but in three days he'll, he'll rise. Uh, and so I'm, I'm sure Stephen probably was talking about that, speaking, preaching about it. These guys are trying to use that against him as saying that he is, you know, trying to blaspheme the temple. It's also very reminiscent of when Jesus was on trial. And, you know, ultimately he was accused of blasphemy as well as really the, the chief reason uh, that he was even arrested. Matthew 26, 59, the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witnesses against Jesus to put him to death. You see a little bit of similarity here. Jesus and Stephen are, are, are very similar. Stephen is a type of Christ, by the way. Verse 6, But found none, yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses, and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose, and suddenly to him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said to him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tellest whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now you have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He's guilty of death. And so they're pulling the same old trick on Stephen that they did Jesus. 
They brought in false witnesses and accusers, and they lied about him. Now they're claiming he blasphemed when he didn't blaspheme at all. And so they want to put him to death. Verse 15, back in our text. Acts chapter 6, verse 15. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. So all eyes are now upon Stephen. They're awaiting him to defend himself from all these charges against him, all these lies. And they're sitting and staring at him. But he isn't acting like the normal criminal that's put on trial or somebody being accused wrongly. There's something very different about this man. The Bible says the council saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Now that's an interesting statement, the face of an angel. Now most people today, if you try to get them to describe an angel, they have no clue what a real angel would look like. And so we get our ideas of angels off of, of Roman paintings and uh, uh, things on, on the, from, that Hollywood produces and stuff. Everybody thinks an angel looks like Roman Downey. And, you know, she, she walks through in a, in a white thing, you know. First of all, there are no women angels mentioned in the Bible, period. They're all masculine. And so we're never told of a woman angel ever existed. I have an entire series on angels that I'm going to preach eventually. So, but there's no women angels, and so most people see these, you know, beautiful angels in flowing gowns and long, you know, blonde hair, whatever, and you know, flowing their wings and stuff like that. And uh, I hate to to break your thoughts about angels, but that's just not what the Bible says an angel's like. And so I looked through the Bible and tried to get a good description of what an angel's face may appear like. And uh, the Bible says in Revelation 10 and 1, John says, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. And his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. Notice what John saw. He saw a mighty angel. He didn't see a little meek and meek, you know, uh, feminine looking something coming down from heaven. Oh, this one comes down. He's mighty. He's, his face uh, is like the sun glowing. His feet are like fire, pillars of fire. I mean, this is a terrifying looking thing. But notice something uh, in particular. It's light. It says his face is uh, like the sun, feet like the pillars of fire. So we're seeing brightness and light. In Daniel 10, 4 through 6, the Bible says, in, in the four and twentieth day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is Hittichel, then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Euphaz. His body also was like the barrel, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like the color of the polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of the multitude. This, uh, this angel that Daniel saw was no little feminine angel either. Uh, this one was terrifying, by the way, as uh, Daniel will actually uh, fall down as dead. But uh, here he sees that his face is the appearance of light. And so again, the, the light that comes out, the eyes of lamps of fire. And so, my goodness. And then Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 10 
Ezekiel says, as for the likeness of their faces, he's speaking about what he saw in his vision. They four had the face of a man and the face of a lion on the right side, and they four had the face of an ox on the left side, and they four also had the face of an eagle. And so this, these angels he saw had different faces on one body. Uh, that's very different. So we've got uh, face as it were the sun, face like lightning, different faces. And Ezekiel goes on to say this, Ezekiel 1 and 13. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire. And like the appearance of lamps, it went up and down among the living creatures, and the fire was bright, and now the fire went forth lightning. And so those are the, really the only descriptions of angel faces I could find in the Bible. Uh, and every one of them is mentioned they were very bright. Now you remember that angels have been in the presence of God. They are around the abode of God, around the, where God dwells. Anytime we see somebody in the Bible that's ever been in the presence of God, what happens to them? They're glowing. They're bright. Moses come down off that mountain after just seeing the hind parts there as the, as the Lord passed by. And he was glowing so bright that people were afraid of him. He had to put a veil over his face to even walk among people. And so being in the presence of God is brightness as it, as it beams out. I believe Stephen, as he sat there, he was so close to God that God was shining forth through him. And these people are sitting there looking at him. I'm, I'm sure their eyes are like, oh, what in the world's going on? Because they see him as the face of an angel there. And, you know, uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when the Lord Jesus there trans, transfigured on that mountain, and, and Peter, James, and John uh, were there. And uh, he brought them apart from there. And he transfigured before them. And the Bible says his face did shine as the sun. And his raiment was white as the light. These men were privileged to even be there on that mountain with him. The only ones that were able to do that. And so I fully believe that Stephen, as he sat there in front of that evil council, they're ready to stone him to death. They've already made up their minds. It doesn't matter what he says. They're, they're going to kill him. He could have told them, well, I agree with you, and they'd have killed him. They hated the man. And so he's, he's sitting there before that council. They're going to ready to stone him to death. And God shines through his face and gives him a holy appearance, the, the holy appearance of God, such as he did Moses. Now, how this council could sit there and see this man, the way he looks, hear the wisdom he spoke, and heard all and witnessed the miracles and the great wonders he did. How they could do that and still go through with it. These were some black-hearted people. I mean, you've got to be, you've got to be evil to be able to carry out such a murderous plot to someone like that. Can you imagine that? To be that evil and that wicked. And these are supposed to be godly men. That just shows you what religion will do. And so it's unfathomable thinking that they can look on that face and see the glory of God. And it just shows how corrupt they were. Now we're not going to get into it tonight and take too long. But Stephen is going to give his uh, witness there. And he's going to take them all the way back to Abraham. He's going to point out everything that they've said against him. And he's going to go back to Scripture and point out to them the truth. And they're going to hate it. He's going to get Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses... And uh, point them all the way straight to Christ. And then accuse them of betraying Christ and murdering Him. 
And of course, that 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 that's all she wrote after that. Uh, he don't have a chance. But uh, we'll stop right there, and uh, you read ahead and, and be prepared for next next Wednesday. Let's uh, let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, thank you for the uh, message tonight, Lord. I pray that it's been helpful, Lord. I pray that we can take a note from Stephen, Lord model our lives after his character, after his faith, after his power, after his glory, Lord. God, we can only do that as, as long as we walk close to you. Lord, help us in this struggle every day. Lord, this flesh that gnaws at us and tries to prevent us from doing what's right. God, if you'll help us with it, God, will just uh, draw closer to you, Lord. God, help us as we be witnesses in this world. Don't let us be belligerent. But God, let us rely upon the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. God, help us everywhere we go. Lord, may we be ambassadors for Christ. Help us on our way home tonight. Keep us safe, Father. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.